chosen to tune in to DLC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. And maybe you're doing chores. Maybe, like me, you're shoveling the driveway with snow. Whatever the case, we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. Check it out if you are not yet one of the wonderful folks who is supporting this show, making it possible. There are ad-free episodes, bonus content, all kinds of really cool perks, a video archive of the show. You can check out all of that available at DLC pod on, uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash DLC pod. DLC, of course, the show all about games and their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who joins me and thanking our patrons. It's week two of the Patreon, Christian. Eight years and two weeks. (laughs) It only took us eight years and two weeks to get to this point. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello. Well, it wasn't us getting here. It was us yeah, it was visited, here, visited upon sense. us. <laughs> also, and, and yes, everything you said, but also having never lived in, in snow, is it shoveling your driveway with snow? That made it sound like you were the guy putting snow no, on I, your driveway. You were like, I, ah. yes, you, get, you could tell I'm a California native because I don't even know the verbiage. I, I, <laughs> I definitely screwed that up. Uh, kid, yeah, shoveling snow from my driveway. Yeah. Which is uh, I like it the other way around. Uh, Dad's got video games to play. We are not going anywhere. I am shoveling my driveway with snow, <laughs> <laughs> piling it on. Sorry, honey, we can't go anywhere. I guess I'll be in the basement with the Elden Ring. Everybody else's house looks perfectly clean. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, but you know, we do need to thank our our patrons. It's been awesome uh, these last two weeks. You know, like I said, eight years doing the show. And and then we finally start the Patreon. The five by five goes away, and people have come out in droves to support us and make sure that the show continues. We're so grateful. Thank you. Also, also, we have heard you. <laughs> the overwhelming sentiment, even from patrons, was that taking the parting gift segment off the end of the show and putting it behind the uh, Patreon support tier. Uh, is not what you want. <laughs> so we are going to continue to evolve the uh, the bonus content, which we're calling paid DLC. Uh, and that show is going to still be an awesome, fun, extra bit of content for supporters at the Cool Ranch level. And we are grateful to all of you. And we want to hear from you what, what you'd like that show to be. It is going to be more expanded parting gifts. It's going to be more tabletop time stuff. It's going to be more kind of personal, uh, free form, less, you know, less formal part of the show. Uh, but please continue to give us feedback as to what you'd like that to be. You are paying for it. So uh, you, our patrons, are the most important folks. But I also understand folks that perhaps, um, you know, can't be patrons, uh, don't want to lose out on the parting gifts. So those will still be part of the show. We're going to we're going to continue to fiddle and tweak uh, with with the format. This is all new to us. Again, the show has been the show for eight years, and we've been doing it 
uh, a certain way. So when we start changing stuff, I understand folks are, uh, you know, have opinions and we, uh, we want to hear that and respect it. So thank you for all the feedback that we have gotten. We appreciate that. All right. With all that being said, we have a major show for you here. Major uh, show. It, it, I mean, it is it, February is officially too many games. Too many games. Uh, and uh, we got proof of that. Uh, we got a, a, the massive release of Elden Ring right on the heels of the massive release of Horizon Forbidden West. Uh, and, the, and the hits just keep on coming along with Destiny, uh, Witch Queen. We're going to talk all that stuff. And the best news for you folks is we have an awesome guest to do it with. This is somebody we've been wanting to have on for quite a while, and I'm so excited he's finally here. Uh, you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week I am so excited because DLC stands for drafting lots of copy because we have the managing editor at GameSpot as well as the host at Giant Bomb and Kind of Funny. Tamora Hussein is here. Tam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I listen to this show a lot, and uh, it's kind of wild to be on it now, but I, I really appreciate the insight. So I'm excited to chat to you, Jeff and Kristen. Well, we're we're so thrilled to have you here. I'm a big fan of of your writing and your hosting, and uh, thank you. really dug your Elden Ring review. We're going to get to all that. So uh, really, really stoked say, to have you. Real quick on that before we move off to Story of the Week, uh, Tam, I will say that my kids got angry with me because I delayed their breakfast as I was reading that your Elden Ring. Oh, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 no. This I was like, half like, Dad, are you? Gonna? I was like, no. But a very important point, <laughs> you can wait. Um, well, I, I appreciate that you uh, uh, didn't uh, take care of your kids so you could read out my review. No, That's the kind of dedication were, I wish everyone had. They were fine. I asked them before I started guys you want breakfast and they were like no. and i was like okay well then dad's busy if, if more people were like you websites would be thriving and we wouldn't have those damn youtubers ruining everything for everyone <laughs> that's right that's right and so many fewer kids would be fed it would be wonderful all right uh let's jump into the show and start the way we always do with story of the week story of the week it's the story of the week story of the week it's the story Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. That's also where you would send any comments or questions or your own reviews. If you have a game that you'd like to hear us talk about or you we haven't mentioned and you want to give your review, dlcfeedback at gmail.com is where you send those. Also, we have awesome communities on Discord, 5x5DLC on Discord. And on the subreddit, which is 5x5dlc.reddit.com. But Tamor, it is, uh, you are a guest, so it is your first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh, this is a tricky one because there's a lot of good stories. But I think I have to go with my heart uh, and go with the Street Fighter story. Just because yes. it's uh, I love Street Fighter. It's one of my... I grew up playing Street Fighter. I still play Street Fighter now and then. Um, and I kind of was like not paying too much attention about what was going on. I know there was a Cap. I knew there was a Capcom announcement coming, and I was like, "Oh, I've known that Street Fighter was in development for a while, 
So like I tuned out and I like came back after writing a chunk of my review for Elden Ring and there was a Street Fighter trailer and I was like, oh my God, it finally happened. <laughs> and it was like for a rare moment, it was like I how I felt when I wasn't in the industry and knew loads of stuff happening. Where I was like, oh my God, Dana, what? And it was, uh, yeah, it was a delight. I'm excited for Street Fighter. How do you, how do you guys feel about it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, we, of course, this is one of those uh, moments after our last episode uh, was posted. Uh, we, I mean, we knew it was happening. Capcom had a big countdown timer, but it's one of those ones where uh, it almost doesn't even feel like it happened in the same week. But yes, uh, the official announcement of Street Fighter VI, including a logo, which has been much debated, uh, mm-hmm. the quality of the logo. Uh, and as you said, a trailer where we get a real hunky looking Ryu and uh, we get Luke. on. Huh? Emphasis on hung and hunky uh, of that, of that <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we get Luke, the uh, you know the the I guess future of Street Fighter according to Capcom, mm. uh, <laughs> and mm. and uh, I think we get some indication of the art style. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, this is a pre-rendered. I, I would assume it's pre-rendered. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, it yeah. is a very much a teaser. Uh, no, uh, no fighting, just a, a bunch of posing and flexing and sweating, um, which is always good for a fighting game. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited about a new Street Fighter. I, you know, Street Fighter Two was like a seminal moment in my life. So this series is always going to mean something to me. I was always a Street Fighter guy over Mortal Kombat or over any other fighting game series. Um, so it's a big deal for me. But we don't know tons about it we do know it's going to have the re engine the the resident evil engine that has uh you know made a lot of games look real real nice so i'm assuming it's it's going to look real real nice but um tam do you think that the trailer is a hint at how the game is actually going to look i mean we when street fighter uh 5 was announced it had that inky look that was so iconic for street fighter 5 so is that what we're looking at here too yeah it seems like the the they are working towards i think they what it seems like they're trying to do is use a not a unified style but have like everyone have their own kind of unique style it's interesting because when ryu does his uh kind of like attack and they animate around him it looks like his the inky style from street fighter 4 which is most closely associated with the focus tag dash cancel move mechanic yeah um whereas luke it looks like he's a little more street fighter 5 ish which makes sense given that street fighter 5 was the game that he was introduced in there's not a lot to go on i think the thing that worries me about it is that the the fixation on look at these rippling muscles look at this sweat it kind of might be like oh, we're going for a super detailed, super high resolution, you know, like really um, kind of realistic to a degree art style. And that's not what I think really works with Street Fighter. I think Street Fighter is at its best when it's following some sort of thematic uh, kind of underlaying design if you get what i mean my favorite street fighter games and and fighting games generally are fighting games that have a kind of driving theme or an aesthetic or a vibe that push them forward so you have capcom versus snk2 which is like the idea of a broadcasted um kind of like millionaire fighting tournament which is (laughs) you know bringing together two of the biggest and they have this whole like news aesthetic over the top where there's like splash screens and that kind of stuff and then street fighter the alpha or the zero series is all like young and very upbeat and very energetic and it's because it's like an origin story and then obviously legendary street fighter 3 um particularly third strike has this kind of more like uh hip-hop influenced 
um, yeah. and like jazz influenced street style. And that's one of the things that is quite interesting because there's been some theories posited that the logo or as rubbish as it kind of is for a lot of people, like the, the drama has been, it's been taken from like a stock site and it's very it pales in comparison to the flair of older street fighter logos which is true but it also has a kind of like graffiti style to it if you get what i mean so it's led to a lot of people speculating that it could be something closer to the third strike like street style um fighting game which i hope it is because that's when i feel like street fighter really shines Mm. five felt like a mishmash hodgepodge of styles it didn't really have anything to unify other than it's very bright it's very very colorful but it's also like we turned up the we used all the colors and turned up the contrast on unreal engine and this is what we got um so in terms of aesthetically like i'm i'm hoping that they kind of mix it up a bit more mechanically there's so little to go on what we do know is that one of the designers for like bayonetta and Godhand, who was working at platinum for a little while joined the team and is working on it um so there's definitely some pedigree that are uh, that is working on the um the kind of game itself but there's little to nothing to show um unique stuff kind of mechanics wise if i had to bet on something i think they stick with what they did with five and give everyone a kind of unique ability but instead of just making it a singular ability that you activate like create an aesthetic and a kind of style around it a bit more in the style of three fighter four where if you held the medium punch medium kick button down it would do the ink blot style thing if they everyone had their own ink blot style thing that could give it some cool um kind of edges to it a bit more my my the major concern with five was a lot of people complained that it was like very turn-based where you would do an attack and if the other person blocked it, they would wait their turn. Once you were done, you'd fight back. Whereas third strike and CVS two, they're a little more like, not jousty but like dynamic in how you could turn the tables you could at any moment switch things up and not wait your turn if to, to a degree so i hope it becomes a little more dynamic instead of like the quite staticky style of street fighter that it's been with five because i love street fighter but i bounced off five quite um early in its life cycle and i've not been back to it for a little bit so mm. we'll see i'm optimistic but i'm also i can see the many many pitfalls that capcom needs to overcome and having said that like they at least in other departments are doing pretty well. I'm not drawing like um, a direct comparison, but they've been getting Resident Evil right a lot. So like, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I hope that, and also like Sony is now invested in them to a degree because they own Evo um, and they need a game that will propel Evo higher. And it needs to be something if Sony's going to put a lot of money behind marketing Evo and putting it on and putting prize pots and pools and that kind of stuff into it, they need a game that people will be excited to watch so hopefully capcom is keeping that in mind and trying to do something about it do you think that we'll see uh, street fighter 6 be a, a sony exclusive again on consoles i should think so yeah i should think so like i i would love it if they put it out everywhere purely because it benefits them um to have a very very large player pool mm-hmm. um I, I i would love to see the xbox players get in on it and but then again like sony isn't as benevolent as microsoft is when it comes to sharing and like at the moment, Microsoft is honoring existing agreements. Microsoft will have plenty of opportunity to be, I mean, Starfield is just one yeah. example, but I imagine Phil Spencer is going to be very quietly closing some doors at some point soon. Um, and there will be some drama about that. But at the very least, I think, uh, you know, 355 proves that it, 
a Street Fighter game can exist and have a healthy player pool just being on PlayStation and PC. So at the very least, we'll get that. I would love it if it went further. Um, I would love it if they maybe tried to do an arcade release again because that yeah. was massive for four. Um, but yeah. arcades are dying, especially post-pandemic. Like a lot of the biggest Japanese arcades are dead um, to a degree. Um, and, and there's like a fear around c- congregating now. So the the kind of like arcade fighting and the FGC as a whole has been kind of hurt by various factors and covid's a big one or a big part of that as well sadly yeah yeah i I think it would be super cool to see an arcade release but yeah it doesn't seem uh doesn't seem like the the market will bear it right at the moment but um christian uh interestingly i think one of the most interesting things about this announcement is that they're saying up front we're really not going to hear anything else about street fighter 6 until summer which feels like kind of a weirdly long window to say, hey, here's a teaser that doesn't really answer all these questions. As as Timur was point, pointing out, there's a lot of questions uh, still raised by this thing, and we were not, aren't going to know anything for, for several months. Um, it, it, what conclusions are you drawing? Yeah, I mean, we've seen the run of hiring, you know, announcements. It doesn't seem entirely dissimilar to that. Um, I also think it was a very flashy way for them to announce the fighting game collection that's also coming out at that, you know, where Capcom every few years acknowledges Darkstalkers is an IP they own. Uh, <laughs> they, they don't do anything else with it, but, uh, and then Red Earth is, uh, yeah. the first time it's. Yeah. I think something like it's the first time it's being ported, which is when I was younger was always a, a game I was fascinated by because it the single player is kind of narrative based. It's like what I think you one of four characters or one of two characters in the single player and it tells a story and the the boss but not boss, like every character you fight in single player, their health is on the bottom of the screen, which always gave it this um boss fight aesthetic to me. And I played it when I was in Japan uh, forever ago. Um, and it was like one of the things that was like, yeah, this only exists here still. This is so cool. So I think Street Fighter Six is the splashy announcement that goes with the other, you know, fighting game collection they have coming out. And also people have been clamoring for it. I, I think it needed they needed to say something like five wasn't seeing major updates that had run its course. It was meant to be a forever game for, you know, they, when five came out, it was like, we're not going to paywall people. We're going to be this game. We want to have a thriving competitive scene for, and then people were like, okay, something's got to be coming. What is it going to be? When are you going to announce it? Just announce it already. Um, my favorite thing I saw about the logo talk is that the six looks like, like a Slack notification, (laughs) <laughs> so it was someone i forgot gosh i should have pulled it up but it was literally like after our show last week i saw it and someone did a mock-up and it's just a, a slack video call is how you fight and it's you know character little heads and windows um is the look they give yeah, i mean it's kind of a it's kind of a it's kind of a bland logo i mean it, it's it's I, I i think it's very stark and very uh simplistic and very minimalist uh and clearly that's what they're going for and mm. and i hope it does indicate what Tam was talking about with regard to it, you know, having a, a kind of a, a different identity or a more street identity. But um, I can understand why people are a little feel like it's a little mm. underwhelming, at least it's, you know, it's there's the not flip, much to it. The flip side of it is like it could not have that identity and it could 
look like what it currently looks like, which is like MMA. We're going for an MMA yeah. boxing style vibe, which would be absolutely, I don't want that because it's very no. sterile and like even Ryu, the way he looks is like, he looks like an MMA fighter right yeah. in, in that moment. And it's like the framing of him, like in a spotlight, I would hate it if it was like, Oh, we've done, we've created like an arena style look to everything now, which is not, entirely impossible especially given the popularity of something like tekken which is like mm. is doing amazing and it, um i mean tekken still has a lot of visual flair to it but they have that kind of like tournament aesthetic as well um i really the thing that i really hope they double down on is the street in street fighter like that's something that starts to get lost over over the years mm-hmm. um as like even five has loads of like kind of arena based stages and a vibe to it which is i i really it doesn't hold a candle to you know fighting on the streets of london as dudley and ken in third strike or yeah or like any any of the you know being on in like um in india in, in street fighter 2 wherever it may be and i hope they go back to that the logo i really do hope they listen to the fans and do something better because it does look like it looks like too many things that it's not which is a problem it looks like a slack thing it looks like a rainbow six siege logo it looks mm-hmm. like um like a, a straight up stock photo it's 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 like that's not going to stand out and if you look at it next to the old street fighter logos it's such a stark difference that you're like i don't yeah. i don't understand what they were thinking with this yeah and i think somebody found that there's a like a korean grocery store chain that almost has the exact same logo also it's it's yeah it's just a little too generic it you know especially it's given like, the history of this series you know it's, it's like starting a podcast with like a song that you hear during a five-hour energy drink yeah that elon musk uses to anybody you know. can use just you know pick it up off the street <laughs> who knew eight years later anyway, also, the, the, the other weird thing is like i understand capcom's narrative ambitions with luke but don't announce your brand new street fighter game with luke if you're announcing a street <laughs> right. fighter game you announce with ken and ryu right. and most you announce it with ken and goki or akuma or m bison you gotta do the one that everyone knows not the annoying new kid on the blog um and it's just like oh that was a mistake as well it really but, is a strange yeah like strange you have, all in on yeah one you have two of the most iconic fighting game characters in the world in ken and ryu and you chose to do this weird awful blonde haired dude who looks kind of like yeah. ken if he was a massive douche but like oh, yeah okay yeah it's Scrappy Doo. Everybody loves Scrappy Doo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, well, we'll keep an eye on that. Again, we probably won't hear more until uh, until summer. So a little bit of a wait to find out more about Street Fighter. But I can't wait to see the first in-game footage for sure. Um, Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? My story, there's so many this week, but my story of the week is all about, one, appreciating Nintendo for announcing something on a Sunday right before we record you know like i just want to let publishers and companies know that they can announce on sundays we will talk about it on the show (laughs) you don't have to wait until right after we wrap but it's the pokemon day and the announcement of pokemon scarlet and pokemon violet which are mainline entries in the pokemon franchise they are coming late this year 2022 and really feels like I mean, dare I say, the perfect game. But the combination of things that they kind of played with in Legends, with the open world and Pokemon being visible in the world and seeing everybody, and then also it appears a traditional um, gym town structure 
where they talked about that you're going to be able to go anywhere you want, but there are going to be these traditional towns that you can venture into, which I assume then are going to have gems that you'll be battling. And that combination of the more open version, like in Legends, alongside... I love Legends, but you know my nit against it was that I kind of missed those traditional gems. Bringing those back in Scarlet and Violet, I think, sounds really cool. But also, I cannot believe we are getting another Pokemon this year, assuming it happens. Like, I know Sword and Shield was, what, three <laughs> years ago? We won't be. I, don't, I think we will. I think, I mean, <laughs> Game Freak's been churning. Sword and Shield was three years ago, I think. Then one or two expansions for that. The second one was good. Yeah, second one was better. Then uh, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl remake. Then Legends. And now Scarlet and Violet. It's like, we are eating. Pokemon mm-hmm. fans are at the table. I mean, this blew me away. I was expecting a lot of the other stuff, but I was not expecting a full-on reveal, same-year drop of a mainline Pokemon game. It's huge. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, I, I think this is bi- a big part of what Nintendo's strategy for the year is going to be. Uh, if it really does land in 2022, we'll, we'll find out. I mean, I, I, I think... Uh, I think they will be major releases and the fact that uh, the fact that you're excited about them as a, the resident Pokemon fan, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm outside looking in on this franchise. So I, I, you know, I don't have much to, uh, to say, but Tam, are you, are you, I was gonna say Tam and and Jeff, I'm curious, Tam, if you think this late 2022, if it says more about what's not coming holiday 2022 for Nintendo, than it does game freak turning out another Pokemon game. I mean, there's only so long you can keep Bayonetta away from us before people start <laughs> writing. And I think we're getting there. I'm like, I'm getting there. I, I love Pokemon. Like I'm not as up to date as most people, but even I'm like, all right, please calm down with these Pokemon games. now. <laughs> the other thing is like, it also like new Pokemon games. It means we get to restart the kind of like Pokemon moaning machine where people will find a new a new opportunity to complain about all the things it doesn't have all the pokemon it doesn't look as good etc etc but having said that um yeah i feel like it's i i really hope that they're not relying on this another pokemon game to be the big you know holiday launch game like they i really need a breath of the wild now we really need a breath of the wild to kind of update like give us a new mario give us something like they announced that, that instead of doing a new mario kart they're doing a new mario kart jammed in mario kart 8 deluxe so uh, it's <laughs> like old okay, tracks but, that are new yeah, tracks exactly yeah. which makes perfect sense and i completely understand it and it's in fact a very savvy and smart business decision but still like i Again, as someone that loves Pokemon and well, as someone that loves Gengar a lot, um, I, I even I'm like, don't don't try and like um, hoodwink us with a with a quick sleight of hand where you remove all these other games everyone's excited about off the table and present a new Pokemon and we're like, great, a new Pokemon. That's not gonna work. Like <laughs> we we need a Metroid Prime update. We need a Bayonetta <laughs> update. We need a Zelda update. We need many many things. Jeff, do yeah. you think we get these? Because they announced this today, you know, very early for a late 2022. Is this clearing right. the decks so that they can have a summer of games, you know, also I'll, I'll announce all these other things within 
2024. <laughs> it certainly, it certainly <laughs> seems like uh, if this is the only bullet in your chamber for, for the end of the year, you don't announce it in February, but also I wouldn't put anything past Nintendo as far as delaying Zelda out again or, or not, not having, you know, making their big release, some sort of like remake or remaster or something that it, it doesn't feel like all those things that Tam just listed off that we're all waiting for. Uh, so, you know, I, I think the flip side, right. If we do get a new mainline Zelda and these two Pokemon games, and maybe, you know, maybe a third thing all coming at the end of the year, then all of a sudden the switch feels like this powerhouse come holiday 2022. So, uh, you know, it could really go either way, but I think, I think you make a good point, Christian, about, the fact that, you know, if this is all you have, you probably make a bigger deal about it in June or July than you do in February. So, um, you know, we'll see. There's an, there's an element of it that I, one thing that kind of rubs me the wrong way about it is it kind of feels like a reaction to the, the reaction to Arceus um, or Arceus, um, which was a very different, very bold kind of Pokemon game that I think was like i'm not that far into it i've played a decent amount of it and even the little that i played of it i'm like this is a great first attempt at revolutionizing what pokemon is but obviously the fans have had a quite visceral reaction to various parts of it where they it's non-traditional battling isn't super super important it's all about catching of course it doesn't have like super high-end graphics and that kind of stuff and it doesn't have all the pokemon that everyone wants but it's like an open world game and there's just enough similarities between um the the new games scarlet and violet and what they showed off in and what what um rc is is um there's like you look at the open world and it looks like something out of Arceus and the Pokemon floating about and, you know, just being in the wild and, and being among, not having the hard cuts to battle and that kind of stuff in the traditional way. And I'm like, is this kind of them just sweeping aside Arceus from this point on now, which makes me sad. I I really hope they don't do that. They, that is a great way. I like, that is the Pokemon template I want them to build on, not the old one that is just, if this is the same kind of Pokemon game as previous years, I'm just so done with it. I, I think that's a legend. great point. Such a great I, point. Cause it's like, it doesn't have, that just game just came out. Like they yeah. just came out and they were like, well, no, no, there's a new one coming. It's, it's, it does seem a, a bit like pulling the rug out from under. I, I think they're using learnings from it, from development of it. Right. And I, I, my hope is that the legends series kind of becomes its own franchise. That maybe is this Petri dish, this mm. testing ground for new ideas. I mean, they had let's go as a sub brand before also, and they bailed on that after one. And I thought that did really interesting things too, kind of bringing that go experience in and, and making catching hyper casual, but a big part of it in the same way where you're, just discovering and catching and catch and then the traditional battles. But I hope they do more with legends and I hope they're weird, quirky offshoots where game freak or maybe the new designers, you know, we've heard about that with, and I know game freak and other Nintendo developers aren't the same thing, but we've heard with other Nintendo games where they put like junior developers on some of these air quotes, smaller games and let them play and be lead designers and test Mm. out some of their ideas. And I hope we see more of that with Pokemon. Well, we will find out if it actually comes out in 2022, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Uh, I dig the titles. I dig the titles. I think those are, that's, a, that's a cool way to go with it. Yeah. Um, you guys have left me 
uh, some really juicy choices as far as uh, potential uh, stories of the week. I, of course, I'm tempted by the fact that we actually got a reveal of the PSVR 2 hardware. Uh, but the, the story that I, I'm most curious to hear your opinions on is uh, more of a rumor uh, that comes out of GamesBeat, but uh, I think has, has, some, has some teeth to it. Uh, the service that I like to call the PS Plow, which is uh, <laughs> that name again is PS Plow, uh, <laughs> PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now, uh, the the sort of fusion of both of those that Sony <laughs> seems to be working on. It is officially codenamed Spartacus, but we we all know it's going to be called PS Plow. It's it's, it's sitting right there. Um, there has uh, evidently been it's, a leak. It's a plow, a plow you use to put snow on your driveway. Yes. Yeah, you got to <laughs> plow it right onto your driveway. Uh, so you stay in and play the games that you were getting on this subscription service. Um, the uh, the pricing tiers have leaked, or at least a a version of the pricing tiers. None of this is official, but this is being reported uh, by Games Beat as a uh, where Sony's head is at the moment. And I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. So let me break it down. Uh, this uh, this Spartacus service will supposedly have three tiers as it stands now. Uh, I should reiterate, this is all subject to change, not final, not announced, but interesting to mull over. So these tiers, as reported, are the essential tier, the extra tier, and the premium tier. And the prices for those uh, range from $10 at the essential tier up to $16 a month at the premium tier. And uh, the essential tier is what PS Plus is as it stands now. Uh, Monthly games that you can add to your library. It works basically how PS Plus works today. PS Plus Extra or PS Plow Extra uh, will get you uh, those monthly games and the game catalog. It's $13 a month. And the uh, game catalog has a library of uh, older downloadable games um basically the ps now fused with ps plus and then the topmost tier ps plus premium gets you uh, all of the above and then it also includes the streaming capabilities of ps now uh, you get a library of classic games as well as new game trials and you can download and start full v- versions of brand new PlayStation games instantly. Um, and uh, this is what GamesBeat is reporting as this possible version of Spartacus, this new, uh, you know, this new mutant service. Tam, what do you what do you think about this? What do you think of the pricing? What do you think of the service? Do you think it will compete with uh, Game Pass? I don't know if anything is going to compete with Game Pass right now. I think that Sony's got a lot of work to do on in that regard. I think it's a great first step for a company that uh, has otherwise kind of stumbled into having a half decent online service. Um, I think PlayStation Plus is pretty good, but it's just become a bit static and stagnant over the years. They've not done much to entice new people into it or kind of keep the buzz around it that's the one thing that microsoft does really well like you're always excited to learn about what's coming to game pass what changes are coming to game pass whether that's x game going out and y game coming in or things like they're adding cloud streaming services to it uh, or like you know it's available on pc or etc etc they they always try and make sure there's a value add to it every now and then which makes any sort of like price changes which i don't believe there have been very many 
um, kind of something that you can easily let go of. Whereas Sony's service hasn't changed all that much. And usually when I am thinking about PlayStation Plus, it is because either because something that I'm interested in has come to it as a free game, or it's because the price is getting hiked up. Um, and I mean, that's less so now that I'm in the States and not in Europe, which was in, in other regions, the prices for PlayStation Plus are frequently getting hiked up. Um, and like the fact that PlayStation Now is a service that has kind of existed in the periphery is a bit of a shame. I've seen people say it's pretty decent when it works. Um and they've introduced functionality like you can download games. It's one of the few places that you can play Metal Gear Solid 4, um, even to this day. Um, and my hope is, I think that if they really take their legacy titles seriously and put in the work in the way that Microsoft had to extend beyond just their own titles and find the titles that people associate as iconic with the PlayStation or even have a remote interest in with the PlayStation um, and start bringing those in, redoing the licenses and kind of like um, making agreements with with um, publishers and developers to get that stuff back, I think that could be massive for them. If they start really dipping into nostalgia I think it's a good way to do them. And it makes sense given that their biggest um, kind of draws to their platform currently are their first party, party titles, which take years and years and years to develop and cost millions and millions of development dollars on top of millions and millions of marketing dollars. There's only so long you can use that to sustain your your entire ecosystem. I think they need something else beyond um, first party titles. Microsoft went the other way where they didn't have first party titles. So they just started buying up studios and they started making as many games as possible available on Game Pass. Microsoft got very far re-releasing old games, which is impressive. I think Sony needs to start doing that again now is to give their developers some breathing room. We've just had Last of Us, we've had Ratchet, we had Demon's Souls, um, and they are working on a bunch of other first party titles. But it would be good if they looked back and and they knew that oh people really love Def Jam Vendetta so let's get <laughs> that going or like whatever it may be a, a PS2 title um and use that to kind of build some goodwill and and also do some game preservation because they suck at that um and they they need to be a bit better at it yeah i mean i think they certainly have the opportunity to leverage all of that back catalog i mean the, the PS2 PS3 eras are so so chock full of of stuff there but I, for for my money, and I'm you know I'm certainly not typical, but my uh, Game Pass for me is all about newest, latest, best. It's is there? It's, whoa, this new cool thing that just came out is I'm already paying for the subscription. It feels like Netflix in that way. It's like oh, there's a the the new show everybody's talking about, the new the new movie everybody's talking about. I have to have Netflix because that's where that is, and I think that until Sony gets on board with that kind of thing until there's the kind of thing where, Oh, horizon forbidden West is part of your subscription, which again, as you've outlined is not really part of their business model. Uh, and I think it would take a massive shift for it to become part of their business model. But from a pure consumer, selfish consumer perspective, like that's, that's mm. what I want. That's, that's what game pass is. And that's what the competition is doing. And yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. You know, I want, I want to just have Gran Turismo seven. I want to just have, you know, I want it to feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm subscribed to your funnel because what you're funneling me is exciting and new and got to have it. Um, mm. 
The, the oh. other kind of X factor is they need to get this right. Like Microsoft has a subscription service that is very, very good. Like value for money wise, it's extremely good. Sony needs to get an equivalent. And so does Nintendo. I think to a degree, Nintendo's less concerned with it. And they need to do that before Netflix figures it out because yeah. Netflix is like, they are starting to buy up studios. They're starting to talk very openly about their intentions around games. And Netflix has a lot of IP clout that could very easily kind of like swing things in their in their favor favor they can do simple things like create small games for kids and and casual people who are you know turning their tv on and opening netflix app every day but they also have the potential they bought like a bunch of they bought a couple of studios that are really well known they could single-handedly revive the episodic games market, you know, like a Telltale style thing. And then like the IP that they have, like who's going to turn down the opportunity to make a game around, like a proper good game around Stranger Things or or any right. number of the other IPs that they own um, and are like massive culture defining squid games yeah squid games like yeah. the squid games game you know yeah. or it may be or, or like the episodic um you know a series that's about you know whatever tv show that is currently popular that's about kids having sex or something like teenagers <laughs> having sex in, in 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 like school and being very mean to each other um but like that kind of stuff like once they get there and if they figure it out it's over for anyone who isn't like super on board and like because at the end of the day like not everyone or the vast majority of people don't have the money to have multiple subscriptions running concurrently they'll go to the place that offers the most value and if netflix is saying hey we've got all the most important movies and um, tv shows that your friends are talking about and we've just got a bunch of games that's a hard sell and it's all it's on tvs and tablets and everything like you're gonna have a rough time you're gonna have an uphill struggle if you start trying to message your new subscription service and trying to convince people that it's half decent when people have moved on such a good point. Uh, such a good point. Uh, Christian, The I guess we can all agree, though, that the true win would be to call it PS Plow. <laughs> Great. That is the only reason we're, we keep talking about this and why you picked this over PSVR 2, Jeff. Yes, yeah, so I'm glad you said it again. What's the name? That name again is PS Plow. There you go. Um, Tim makes a lot of great points. And I, I also think Netflix is eyeballs. And when you turn it on, you know, what's next? Uh, Stranger Things season four, part one, uh, the Witcher, the next Witcher game, you know, whatever is like up there in that carousel if it wants to be. And their CEO said, stop asking us about games because my answer is we want to be the best at it. So until we're the best at it, you can quit asking me that question. And that's serious. It's not, we're yeah. interested in the mobile space and the revenue that it generates is appealing for our bottom line of it. It's like, we want to be the best. And and like the cynical thinking is they have the data to be the best. Yeah. Like yeah. They, they have the algorithm that understands how to shove things in front of your face that you just cannot resist. And they they have a expertise with that in a way that Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo hope they can one day achieve. Like very few algorithms are as good at personalization as Netflix. And they've got all worldwide data from many millions of people over many millions and billions of hours of watching. Once they start figuring out how to put games into that carousel, it's going to be rough for other people. Like your the attention span, like I think can't remember who said it, but like the, 
there was an executive that said that like the the battle isn't for user numbers it's for attention span and that yeah. and they are winning that battle and i think as well along those lines where gosh i'm blinking on the name of it but that new interactive game show um that they just announced it and there's uh I'll figure it out later. But they're gamifying other things, whether it's Bandersnatch or this new show that's coming out. And it's, I think, not a Trojan horse, but uh, turning people into gamers that might not self-identify as gamers who will then log into Netflix to play games (laughs) and not think about like, oh, I'm a hardcore quote-unquote gamer. The thing for me, the biggest thing for this PlayStation, um, not called Spartacus, is that it seems from these... uh, games beat rumors or leaks it seems more as a nintendo switch online plus expansion pass competitor more so than a game pass competitor right now like game pass ultimate is 14.99 here in the u.s per month that's less than this most expensive not spartacus not called spartacus uh tier it, it, when you start comparing things dollar for dollar and like a 10 hour trial's great, you know, or whatever it ends up being for new games. Like I liked that for EA play when I had that and I thought that was fine and fun. And then until Xbox was like, no, that sucks. It always sucked. You were an idiot for thinking it was awesome. And I'm like, I was an idiot. This is so much better. Xbox, you give me the full game for less. And I think that's where you're going to see this direct comparison made more. Whereas Nintendo has done a, such a good job of, redefining their position as we're not competing with these guys we do our own thing that when nintendo switch online came out and then this plush expansion pass came out which uh friend of the show modern vintage gamer has a video out saying about the new patches for the n64 games and how that emulation is getting a lot better now um so folks should check that out but when that came out it was well this isn't as good as getting that quietly got uh, quickly got shot down but like it's not a game pass competitor that's not what they're trying to do and nintendo's like yeah we're not and we just want your money. Well, but <laughs> they put weird random stuff with it. Animal Crossing, those Mario Kart 8 tracks. Yeah, which is like a, uh, yeah, that, that scene from the jerk where he's like, and, I, and I'm taking uh, this and this ashtray and yeah, just whatever they yeah. could throw it's into the cart. You know? yeah. Also, the stick of gum. Um, but I'm curious, Christian, you are, you are such an advocate for the, for the streaming future. It, it feels like this might be a way to further mainstream the fact that sony has a streaming service that i think i don't think anyone talks about really you know it's it's kind of going strong and every time we talk about streaming services people are like sony's doing it too you know we're always talking about stadia and and, and video, is, you know it's, it's 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 game one game one it's day one releases uh yeah. GeForce now which i love and i'll talk about again in a little bit they don't get every game, but when they do get games, a lot of them are day one. Xbox with um, Game Pass Ultimate and xCloud, it's day one for a lot of those games. Yes, they later add others, but a lot like Halo and Forza Horizon 5 were day one streaming. That's big. Yeah, it and is. If they're not going to do that. It's hard to stay in that PR press cycle the same way when it's like you can play Horizon. Horizon? Forbidden West? No, Zero Dawn. Oh. Well, okay. It's just hard. It's hard to, yeah. you know, go toe to toe in that regard. But I, I, early on, eight years plus two weeks now, folks can go back. I was a day one PS Now subscriber, and I replayed all the Uncharted's that were there to test the test the service. I played a lot of Street Fighter. Um, 
on the service to test it as well. Cause like, well, if you're going to put a fighting game on this, giddy up that, that that's, mm. you know, that's coming yeah. to the fight, proving you're ready to win. And it didn't quite prove it <laughs> back then. All right. Well, uh, that's, you know, that's our story of the week. So we got, we got other stories and Hey, if you're a, uh, a patron, maybe we'll chat about some of those stories we didn't get to in the main show uh, on the, the bonus, the paid DLC show. Uh, but let's get uh, to talking some Elden Ring and stuff in the in the section that I'm most excited to have Tam on for, and that is our playlist. But first, I do need to thank our sponsor, Shopify. I use Shopify. I, I do a show, a uh, live stream Dungeons & Dragons show, and all the merch that we do on that show is done through Shopify. We could not do it without Shopify. In fact, we looked at every other option we could possibly do. And we were like, no, no, no. Shopify is the way to do this. Because Shopify is more than a store. You can connect with your customers, drive sales, and manage your day-to-day all with Shopify. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big businesses so that upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. You can also synchronize your online and in-person sales. You gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash DLC, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash DLC right now. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash DLC. All right. So all three of us have played Elden Ring. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Tam has played way more than either christian or myself uh and i you know i read your review uh which is extremely evocative and well-written uh kudos um and uh, you you clearly think very very highly of this game uh but there are some caveats so so give me the the ten thousand foot view of elden ring and then we'll we'll dig in what's what's your feelings about the game yeah, I, I gave it a 10 out of 10 on GameSpot, um, which isn't a perfect game. It's just the highest recommendation. Like, this is something that I believe that everyone should play, or if you're inclined towards trying out games of this ilk, you should absolutely play it. I think it's just exceptional top to bottom. It's both it's something that is expected from from software in a lot of ways, but entirely out of left field um i think it's interesting because like we never really knew what elden ring was until we had it in our hands and that was by design it everything they showed us looked like a bigger dark souls i don't think anyone was expecting an open world and i don't think that anyone was expecting an open world that had pretty much uh kind of 
pushed aside or countered every modern open world design decision that has been created, if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. The thing that I love about Elden Ring is like it's the antidote that makes makes every other L- open world game exhausting to me in this day and age. <laughs> um, I love open world games. I love video games. Like, and open world games are a massive part of that that kind of like love of it. That I adore playing those games, but there's also a fatigue that now comes from them because they are the most, they are one of the most popular genres um, because they hold player attention for a really, really, really long time. They make it easy to create um, kind of ancillary add-on content to keep that stream of revenue coming. And also they're a very, very effective way of taking a gameplay loop um, that is uh, that you kind of get hooked on and, to a degree is psychologically manipulating um, and and kind of like it's easy to create those. Very few open world games create a unique gameplay loop, if you know what I mean. Like they currently, they have the basically the same kind of gameplay loop or some variation of it. And every single one has some sort of icon spill element to it where you open up a map and you're overwhelmed with... 10 trillion things to do none of it meaningful amongst all that garbage is maybe two or three missions that will be memorable or even relevant to your key quest and i think that is something that i found just i don't have time i I don't feel necessary that i want to experience anymore because these days i'm like i want something that will elevate the medium and give me new perspective on it ironically elden ring reminds me of why open world games were so fascinating to us back in the day when we first started getting these games um the sense of discovery the sense of exploration um when miyazaki and and from software created um demon souls the intention so demon souls story is fascinating miyazaki jumped on it as someone who had very little game design experience and he came to the demon souls team specifically because it was a project doomed to fail and (laughs) he showed up and he was like i'm the new guy he requested to be on the project thinking the worst i can do is make this project everyone is everyone is convinced will sell won't sell and be be rubbish even worse and if i do is nothing's going to happen. Like I'm not going to get in trouble for it. Of course, like time history shows us that he made one of the best games of all time and it kickstarted a genre and is like iconic and it revolutionized game design. But his whole ethos was, I want to take video games back to their roots and strip away a lot of the modern stuff that has kind of, taken the teeth out of it like if you think about it there's a lot of similarities between demon souls the way it's designed the way it kind of is punishing and super mario like that first super mario like you get halfway three quarters of the way through a super mario level one one and you die to a goomba there's no checkpoint you start at the beginning you gotta start all over again you just use your knowledge of how to get there again to make it easier and quicker this time and that was his thinking and he's applied and they've applied that to to open worlds as well now the idea of open worlds the fantasy of open worlds was you step into this world that is completely uncharted and you are the cartographer of that world you're the person who pokes in its nooks and crannies finds the people the puzzles the the missions and you by the end of the game have mapped out that world except we don't games don't allow us to do that anymore the moment you step out and interact with a thing it's like here is everything it's all there for you Mm. and and you just 
if you're like me, you look at all of it and you're able to easily identify the 80% of it that is completely disposable. Whereas you can't do that in Elden Ring. Like you cannot, you have to explore. You have to kind of like have a sense of adventure and curiosity to propel you through this game. And it's so, it's so stubborn about sticking to that fundamental stripped away kind of basic design that it will allow you to go to places that you should not be in and suffer cruel, cruel fates while there, <laughs> just so you can learn that I shouldn't be here. I should go somewhere else and do something else. And that feeling of being truly in charge of your own destiny and charting your own path through this vast, hostile world is nothing. It's, I've not had anything like it in many, many years. It reminds me of that kind of sense of awe that you got when you played like Oblivion for the first time. Mm. That was the last time I felt that, even Skyrim to a degree, or even GTA 3. Yeah. Um, when you were like, oh my God, this is an entire world that does not care that I'm here. I have to prove myself to it, not it begs to me to to seek out every little small thing that it's got to offer. I think it's so bold that they create these, they've created some of the most beautiful, fascinating creatures, characters, and worlds, and then said, we don't care if there's people out there that would never see this. Like you can play, they, they put a number out, which was like, you can complete this game in 30 hours. You can, you can do that. It's an uphill struggle that last few hours to complete it. But, you leave another 50 hours of a game of like some of the best game just on the table and you miss so many amazing moments and things. I think it's incredibly bold of them to do that. So I, I, Elden Ring is for me just like a, I describe it as a masterclass in design by reduction. Mm. And I think it's going to, in the same way that um, people like talked about how Zelda changed the game. I think this game takes, learns the right lessons or takes some of what Zelda did and does the right things to evolve it and become its own thing. And I think people will be looking at this game as like a landmark release in video games for years to come. This is exactly why I wanted you on the show, because that, that was extremely uh, eloquent and, and poetic and romantic. And God, I wish I felt that way. I wish I felt <laughs> that way. I want to feel that way. I want to feel that. That's That's the stirring rhetoric... Mm. that I respond to, that I love to just feel. Uh, but before I am the, the, the party pooper, I'll let Christian <laughs> chime in. Yeah, I, uh, I think, you know, you were first to From Software between the two of us, Jeff. Um, yeah. And I was a little later to it. I think now I've probably played more of their games uh, in total than you have. Bloodborne being my first real foray into it. Um, and then a lot with Sekiro. I didn't finish either. I had to go back and look on Bloodborne. It's like, did I? Because I consumed so much other stuff around it afterwards. I was, it had like this false memory of like, oh yeah, I I got that, and I, I didn't. <laughs> um, I didn't beat Sekiro, and I don't think I'll finish Elden Ring either. Um, like, just knowing I'm a moth to a flame, and something will, uh, Gran Turismo, something will pull me away before I, I'm able to to get into it. That being said, don't take the fact that I don't finish this game to mean that I don't absolutely love it and agree wholeheartedly with almost everything Tam said. It just means that I'm taking a Danish approach and I have a short attention span and a shiny ray traced Porsche squirrel will distract me uh, in, a, in a little bit. Um, the the Porsche squirrel new <laughs> from Porsche. Yeah, I'd, I'd buy it. I mean, I wouldn't because I couldn't afford it, but I'd want to buy it. Um, what Elden Ring 
brings to the from software formula, I think is transformative in the way that providing an open world allows for creativity and freedom in a way that their other games um, didn't have. And with Sekiro, you could grapple and you could change your perspective to get a different vantage point on a level that was different than something like Bloodborne. Um, but for the most part, there was a path and there was a head and you a wall and you beat your head on that wall going down that path. In Elden Ring, there are still walls and there's your head that you're going to beat against it. But at any point, you can go somewhere else and you can do something else. And I think that freedom, at least for me, allows for farming in a way that I found frustrating in Bloodborne and Sekiro, where it's like, well, here's the same thing. It's going to, well, I'm too weak. I got I'm going to go run these same four enemies again over in the same spot, because if I go one step further, I'm going to have this enemy. I don't want to fight that enemy because I want to do these souls. And then Elden Ring, it's like, oh, well, let, what's over here? And then it's like, oh, this is incredible. This is amazing. I'm going to farm over here for a little bit. Oh, my God. And the, and the addition of fast travel between a world, between a map, where it's like, okay, I'm okay. I ran over. I saved. Okay, I've leveled up. Well, now all these enemies just respawned, which again, as Tim mentioned, is a, is a vestige of older games, right? But the from software has found a way to make it additive to the experience instead of annoying. Like Mega Man, you die or you you come back to a spot. All those enemies are there again. At the time, it kind of felt like a limitation of the software, where it's like I can't remember where you've been or not. You enter this room; these enemies are here. Here. And with the From Software games and in an Elden Ring, it's part of the attraction. It's it's you know why you would want to go back and revisit something because you have this moment that you figured out and you can go in and you can run these things over and get over and over again. And it also is this balance of risk reward of when do you sit down and save, when do you level up, knowing that by doing so, you've created potentially a really sticky situation for yourself going forward. But the moment for me when Elden Ring really clicked, and this is a spoiler for my playthrough of the first 20 minutes or so. Where I am in the game right now, um, I'd guess I should probably have looked. Five, six hours, I've taken several swings at the first boss, thought I was getting close, I was feeling really good, and then quickly found out I was not close. <laughs> it only took a few uh, missteps, and I never got that close again. Um but so early on in the game, you know, you come out and you get into the overworld. Uh, and immediately there's this beautiful, shiny enemy on a horse that I'm like, I know that that guy is going to wreck me. I'm aware of what that is. No, thank you. No, sir. No, ma'am. I get what you're doing. You're telling me just because I see an enemy, don't go kill it. I thank you for that tip. Thank you for this Mario one, one approach. I have learned it. I'm going to go around. So I'm, 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 flagging around this enemy, right? Trying to stay as far away from possible, knowing what my North Star is supposed to be and where I'm supposed to kind of go, quote unquote, for the narrative. And then as I'm flagging around, I come across these tiny, you know, a mob, right? Little ads or whatever it would be. And they're like little zombies that seem kind of lifeless. And they're an enemy that I think I can take down. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go kill these enemies and do whatever I can. And in that combat, I, you know, I'm, fighting them and I afterwards I pan over and I look up and there's a statue back in the distance in a way that I didn't go this first time. And that statue was kind of pointing toward me, but a little to my character's right. I'm like, well, that seems interesting, right? Like there is a statue that is clearly pointing to something. 
I wonder what that means. And at this point, all I'm trying to do is explore the world and get around this death horse, uh, death, death soldier, mounted soldier in the middle of the map. So I go back to this statue. It tells me some lore stuff about pointing this way to the roots as to where I'll begin or whatever that like seems like it could be very important, but it's also not like, yo, dude, you need to go this way to win the game. And then, and then a light comes out of the statue's finger and like points back to this part of the cave. And I'm like, well, okay, giddy up. But here, here we go. So I follow this light thing back to kind of where I was into the cave and it opens up into uh, a passage within the cave. And there's a soul there that talks to me about something, again, lore related that feels rich and interesting, but isn't flat out saying, hey, this is the glider you need to progress to level two, right? It's like, in these tombs awaits a treasure for those who take, you know, whatever, right? Like something that's like scratches at the imagination. And I go into this little tomb cave thing and immediately get killed by this thing I think is a statue. That isn't a statue and it's a little goblin that jumps off the wall and kills me. And I'm like, mother, father. Okay, well, now just because of the strength of my conviction and me being a jerk, I'm like, I'm going to kill that thing for no other reason than to do it, which I think is beautiful in a game. And I think uh, is embodied in so much of what Tam said, where this game is motivating me to do something just to do it, not to get the shiny thing, not to get see my XP bar go up a little bit, which is a game we'll talk about in a little bit that I also love, um, but just to do this thing. And so I run through this, I don't even, it's not a dungeon, whatever it is, cave hallway thing numerous times until I finally clear it out. And at the end, I get a thing in a trunk and I have no idea what that thing on the trunk is or what it does, but I get it and it looked cool. And it was such a satisfying moment of just that. It was that exploration for exploration, uh, progress for the sake of overcoming a challenge and doing a thing because it was there for me to do all choices that I was making without this uh again i love fortnite but like fortniteification of everything you do shine something shiny comes off of it like we talked about forza horizon 5 and how much i love that game and how it is constantly rewarding you for everything you do and i think that is a very valid design approach and i've talked about how i'm curious how they handle fable and if they bring that over to fable and how they handle an open world and elden ring goes the complete opposite direction And just the challenge and fun in that I found a thing that maybe no one else saw. I think people will find this statue because it's kind of close to the beginning of the game, but I don't think you need to. And I had this whole epic adventure that then and there was like, this was worth the price of admission. Like it felt like a whole new feeling and style of game. And since then, there's been multiple more of those moments. There's a moment I'll speak vaguely about where you walk into an area and because any little enemy can kill you if you play it wrong, these little enemies draw, drew my attention. And I was like, okay, I got to okay, clear the room. There's two over there, two over there, one over there. Okay, the ranged one there. I'm going to do this. This is going to be my strategy. And I go in you know, thinking I'm John Wick and I plan my attack. And then this huge thing comes out of where I haven't looked and just obliterates me. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm going to run that back. And sure enough, if you go in and if I just looked there, I would have seen it and known it was there. But the area is designed in such a way, and so many of the game are, to pull your focus in a certain area to distract you from something else. 
that you could have taken down very easily if you knew it were there and how you approach a problem. Just, just absolutely fascinating. Of course, literally before we started recording this show, I had my first, the mist took you to a place where you're going to die room. Oh no. And that sucked, but it was still kind of cool. <laughs> the same. I was like, I have a little bit of time before we record DLC. I'm going to grind out some souls. Son of a gun. Um, but it just, I don't know. It, it, it I said this about death loop. Um, and I think it applies here as well. There's a confidence to what the team is doing in Elden Ring and that I'm curious, Tam, if other developers will learn these lessons and do it. I don't know if they have, I don't know if they have that confidence. And I feel like you can't go half step. It's, it's something where it's like, well, we made vague two of the mechanics of this game. I think that frustrate people. It's like, you can't do that. Um, you kind of got to go all in. And then the my only nit with this game is that I am playing the PS4 version on my PS5. And so far it has been a flawless flawless, flawless 60 frames per second. Um, it doesn't look nearly as pretty as Horizon Forbidden West, the PS5 version of the game that I'm playing. And it frustrates me that I have to play a PS4 version on my PS5 to run a game that my 3080 can't run. Um, that's a real bummer. And I mm. hope that from software gets some tech assistance later on, on their engine to make it run crisp on more powerful hardware. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know, man, I'm surprised that I just thought this would be this, this would excite you and make you talk, always talk about like wanting rewards when you go places and it's yeah. very RPG heavy and like leveling this up that, Oh, and the other thing, the way, Tam, I forget what they're called. Souls, whatever the thing. Runes. Runes. Um, the risk reward of like how you use those as your currency for almost everything is super fascinating to me from these games where it's like, do I do this to level up my health or do I use this to buy uh, a spell that I can use later? Well, it's like, well, I just, I was just, grinding for an hour to get here and, and it's like then you buy the scroll for the spell that sounds awesome it's like well, i'm never gonna use it it's i don't know it's fascinating it's fascinating and how it doesn't hold your hand and it doesn't punish you but it, it it isn't afraid to um hurt you there's a difference <laughs> between holding your hand and throwing you into the deep end when you don't know how to swim you know, I, I think there's a there's a, there's a gulf between those two things where a lot of games live that is is a fine place to live. Like hand holding has a negative connotation and certainly doesn't feel great when it, it feels like you're being led by the nose around. But there are a lot of games that find a, a balance of giving you letting you uh, helping you take your, your first few steps and then letting you fall on your face you know, if, if you so choose, or if you, you know, if you haven't paid attention or not, are not committed to it. Uh, I, I, I listen to you guys talk about this and I feel, I want that. I want that feeling. I want that feeling. And I, I am very, I must be very clear that I have not had the pure hours with the game that I would like before I make any kind of final judgment on it for myself um, but so I'm very, very much, very earnestly giving a first impression of someone who was very hopeful. You know, I, I definitely, 
thought going in, you know, I, I'm really worried Elden Ring isn't going to be a game for me. And then I, I read Tam's review. I read, you know, a number of, of, of these glowing, uh, reviews about, I, I, I want to feel that. I want to, ha- I'm going to jump into this game with both feet and be excited. And I just, some of the frustrations that I've had with from software games before are very much still present. I mean, it, the, do, do not dear listener fool yourself into thinking as perhaps I did that this is a revolutionary departure from the template of those from software games. It adds a lot as Tam has very eloquently outlined. It adds a lot of really fresh ideas to the mix, but it's the same mix, right? Um, and it, I think it also is a game. I think you pointed this out in your review. I, it's also a game that sort of assumes that you've played other from software games before. Um, well, I think I, I think that's interesting because it, it does and it doesn't. Because in my opinion, all of those games make that assumption, and at some point, it has to be your first. I think it assumes that you're willing to mess up, and that's okay. Like there are systems that it builds on in other from games, and I think Tam's probably played spent more hours certainly with Elden Ring and other from software games than I have. But the first one, I think exp- Demon Souls explained less, I think. I don't know, and it was people didn't know what they were doing then. And now there's some understanding of it. Um also I should add, and I apologize again for interrupting Jeff, man, seeing this game and then seeing what the Demon Souls remaster looked like. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to get to that. I I think one of my biggest hopes, and 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 this was because of the George R. R. Martin aspect of it, like, oh, this is a collaboration between From Software and George R. R. Martin. And it if I had never known that George R. Martin was involved, there's no part of me that would have thought that he was involved. Right. There's no, there's no George R. R. Martin-ness to it, really, other than maybe the names are kind of vaguely sound like names he would have come up with. Um, but I really thought, oh, there's going to be this sort of layer of narrative cohesion that, for me, the other from sufferers haven't really had. There's, there's, I totally respect that you guys have talked about how you are drawn into this world and it, and it values and rewards your curiosity that is the kind of games that i really love i love games that value and reward my curiosity the, i i keep having i keep looking for something to draw me deeper into this world and the the first you know couple few hours that i've played which is not not a lot uh, i have yet to find that right i just feel like i'm stumbling blindly into a place that frankly isn't very attractive. Like, and again, I'm, as you, as you said, Christian, I'm coming off literally, literally pausing horizon forbidden West on my PS five to launch (laughs) Elden ring. Right. And it doesn't, in my opinion, compare well to that world, that, that lush, interesting, well-designed, unique to me, very compelling world of the horizon fiction, which I'm so enamored by uh, and is beautiful. Like there, the, you know, honestly, Elden ring on my PS five looks like a sort of solid mid gen 
PS3 game, maybe? You know, like solid. It's better than that. It's better than that. I mean, it's, it's not great. It's not great. And and I think, and again, I, I'm comparing it a lot to Horizon because I'm back to back. Part of the problem for me, and again, maybe this is just because I'm early on and I and I'm not this from software guy, and I and I don't have that in my bones the the timing, the 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 mechanics of how these games uh, work. Even though I've played a few of them, uh, you know, fairly amount, fair amount. Um, but when I'm playing as Aloy, I just I feel like. I don't feel like I'm playing a video game when I'm in the heat of battle. I feel like I'm improvising and doing things that are sort of an extension of what I want to do in that moment. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm operating a video game in the sense that I'm sw- switching weapons and and deploying traps and all these things, but I'm there's sort of this the barrier between who I am in that moment and who Aloy is in that moment and what we both want kind of fades and and I'm just do I'm just improvising in in that combat and it feels very uh, fluid. And I never feel that with a from software game. I'm always conscious of the fact that I'm playing a video game and that I have to time something in a very specific way and that there's certain frames that are vulnerable frames and invulnerable frames and the the speed and and how I'm going to time it just all feels so mechanical, so um, inorganic. And maybe that's me. I, you know, Tam, I'd love you to respond to some of the stuff I've been saying. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to that element of it, I, I think for sure um, there is a difference when you have it in your bones and when you don't, as you said, like it, it feels, I, I completely understand that feeling that you're having um where you know you, you play as Aloy and it's that kind of improvisation or I'm rolling holding the weapon change button everything slowing down quickly putting down a trap etc cetera, etc cetera. that's great um for me it I feel like I'm doing the same thing in these games and I think that a lot of it comes from my background in fighting games mm. like I I grew up playing fighting games I grew up in arcades I grew up looking at frame data and that kind of stuff but it doesn't and that when i say it and if i write that down that sounds gamey and mechanical but when i'm looking at it on screen i'm playing rock paper scissors high stakes Mm. and incredibly fast so like that is that that's how i see it i'm not seeing the code of the matrix i'm seeing this this like rock paper scissors game happening super super fast in front of me like every moment and there's an exhilaration to that there's like it is high stakes rock, paper, scissors. So that I mean, knowing there's a simplicity to it, like there's this, this character is going to act in this way once I've learned their moves and I have these options available to me. It makes each battle like for me, I'm not thinking about too much. And I love that. Mm. It's like, I'm not like doing the Aloy thing where I'm like trying to grab 10 different things. I'm throwing the kitchen sink. I'm doing this, that, and like, it looks amazing and it's cinematic, but at a certain point, like I kind of disengage from it where I'm like, it's the difference between firing an assault rifle and firing a sniper rifle. Mm. In a game, <laughs> yeah. If you get what, you know what I'm sure, saying? Like, yeah. 
in in and in, in a multiplayer game like that like people who pick up sniper rifles in multiplayer games they go there because they like that precision strike they can they like the one shot the high kind of stakes the you got one shot to make it happen if you miss you give your position away and potentially will be punished for it and that's how uh, my style is and how, that's how i like and i appreciate that it's not for everyone like because like i said if you misfire and that, you know, like you will be punished for it and the punishment is devastating. Like it is really, really rough in the same way that like you miss blocking in a fighting game and someone unleashes a, you know, a combo, like that's your health gone and you might be out of the tournament. Right. That is something that just, it it works for me in that kind of way. I think like the other stuff is, it's also very valid. Um, I think one of the things like I I mentioned in my review was this is the most, I think like uh, one of the things that I see a lot is people saying this is very approachable as a from software game. I don't think it is. And like, I would be the first person to advocate for it if I believed it was genuinely approachable. I think it's not approachable. I think the open world and the lack of information it gives you makes it the most unapproachable from software game Mm. because it's still a from software game, but now you're not being led down a path so in in the older games like a bloodborne or dark souls like the majority linear hub and spoke system yes it has an openness to it but for the most part once you enter one of those spokes you're going through a you're on a roller coaster until the end and in, when you encounter challenges or speed bumps in there that's the only speed bump that you need to think about like you know i just need to overcome this thing whereas in this game you can go anywhere and you're just surrounded by these challenges you're surrounded by speed bumps and the open world is designed in a way to create the kind of ebb and flow the build and release of these games that uh, that they would put into a corridor thing so it's not like you're out in the open world and you're getting stomped constantly no they have enemies in there that are designed to be pushovers they have mobs in there that are quite easy to get through so you feel like you've overcome a massive challenge like you've just beat a horde of enemies um but at the end of the day it is a difficult game. Um, and the thing that kind of offsets that is the sense of discovery. I think I described it in my review as like a lot of the joy in this game comes from discovering the thing, not necessarily what you're rewarded for discovering it mm. you know, in, at the yeah. end of it. Like it's, I found the cave and now at the bottom of the cave, there's the, maybe an I am there. I don't really care about that. For me, that's where, a lot of it is and that's not to say there's nothing ever any good in there like there's always something interesting in that cave whether it's a boss or a item or a just an interesting like a architectural piece or the layout of it like that's cool but i think once you get into the core kind of the set piece areas of which there are quite a few but um there's like five main ones um which have the five elden lords attached to them um those are where from software creates their old from software games and they are spectacular and i do wonder whether it's like people not getting to those because they are like bouncing off the open world element to it is a detriment to the game mm. but again like for me i wouldn't have it in another way like i i wouldn't like uh, it's what what I expected of them. Like I wouldn't have them compromise any part of it. Um, just so like, it's easier for people to get to that point. Um, to be clear, I'm not saying I wouldn't tell them to make it easier for people. I would, I would love for them to make it more accessible for people for, in various ways. I'm, I'm an ex- accessibility advocate for, from software games, which earns me a lot of hate online. But like, what I'm saying is like, I, I, I wouldn't want them to kind of make it like a cakewalk for you to get into those set pieces if it reduces the impact of the open world and the sense of discovery and the sense of kind of like triumph you get from going from A to B, um, which is often tricky in this game. Like there's very few games where 
genuinely moving across a landmass feels treacherous mm. in zelda you're doing stupid shit like m- climbing up the side of a mountain and then standing on the slightest outcrop like a pebble is poking out from a wall <laughs> and you've got link's foot in it and you're recovering your stamina so you can climb up again and right. it's like it's 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 a video game whereas in this game like i i get no sense of accomplishment other than like I did this annoying thing and scaled this mountain or I've somehow got roach on this roof or uh, the Skyrim horses somehow walking vertically up a, up a mountain <laughs> like that stuff. Whereas in this game, it's like when I get from a to B manually without using the, the fast travel, that feels amazing. Like it, it feels so good to me because the things I've seen on the way, mm. there's things I will have engaged with. There's things I've looked at and I've been like, I have concerns about the people who designed that thing and I need to run away from it as fast <laughs> as possible. Like there's an element of that that I truly love, but I, 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 I wholeheartedly understand where you're coming from. Um, maybe you'll get there eventually, but the thing I've always said about Souls games and I, and I always like, again, earns me a lot of hate. Like, don't force yourself through a game through these yeah. games because you can't you can't make yourself love these games. They are, I said in my review, these games are still for a specific type of person. And you probably know whether you are that person or not. And the majority of people that are probably playing the game now probably know that this is not a game for them, but they are, like Kristen said, a moth drawn to a flame. Um, and like that's great for you. But I, I hate the idea of people going into these games, banging their heads up against it, not really knowing that they're just not, not it's going to sound really like um, egotistical, not built for it, but like it's it's like some things that you're just, some people like the taste of cilantro, some people don't. Yeah. That's just the way it is. The taste buds are wired in a certain way. And if yeah. you're one of those people who don't like it, you don't force yourself to eat it because you know it tastes like soap. So that's, you just stop eating the soap. That's what I um, tweeted uh, when all the reviews were coming out is is like, I'll read these reviews. It, it, it reads like people who really love spicy food going like, this new hot pepper came out and it's amazing. It's like the yeah, most exactly. delicious thing. And I'm like, I got a sensitive yeah. stomach. I know I'm not going to like this hot pepper, but I want to have that experience. Yeah. The FOMO for this game is yeah. probably off there. Like it's intense, but you get nothing out of, of like forcing yourself through these and coming away like upset and bitter and like not really you make FOMO worse if you don't understand or if you can't find, if you're forcing yourself to love the thing and you're not just getting there. Um, and like I, but I think like there is, there is, there are definitely people who I've seen start playing these, this game and be like, I get, I think I get what from software is about now. I've mm. seen complete like newcomers who like in my streams are like, I've never played a souls game. I've only watched people play souls games. I have a passing interest. I'm going to try it. And then they've like DM'd me and said, I think I get why you love these games now. Hmm. Um, I, I, the other thing that's kind of tricky is, and I don't know how, how you feel about it, but this is how I feel about it. These games are time thieves. Like they, <laughs> they are, they, there's nothing worse than the feeling of losing progression. Yeah. Um, in a, in a, in a, in a life where you have much to do and you've got other priorities and, and that kind of stuff. The idea of playing for an hour or like repeatedly banging your head up against a singular challenge, knowing that you've got another 70 hours of a game to go, it can really rob you of your joy of this game. So I think like they're, they're, if you're the kind of person who really struggles, and I am that kind of person, but I've reached a point where these games, I, I've kind of reached an equilibrium or like a Zen state with them where I go into them knowing 
that I'm going to be sacrificing time to them, but it will be worth it for me. Hmm. Um, if you're the kind of person who can't do that, then you will struggle with these games. But also you could be the kind of person that needs to just tell yourself, hey, I'm not going to force myself to try and make progress. I'm just going to take one step at a time, like now, you know, take one stare at a time and very slowly build up the kind of language and understanding of how to speak from software. Um, and And I think it's a, game that is best enjoyed at a very slow pace okay a leisurely pace where you can investigate and one of my joys from one of the things i always say is like the reason why i like these games i would like these games to be more accessible to a broader audience is because community is what these games are strengthened by Hmm. um the people who play these games everyone who has ever remixed a firelink shrine theme everyone who has ever put solaire on a t-shirt or everyone who has ever made a law video has not beaten the nameless king and that is like to to rob people of their ability to like find joy in a piece of music or seek inspiration in a piece of art or relate to a key character story um just because they need to pass some skill check i think is the most moronic thing and it's a it's a it's a uh, frankly, I, I find it offensive to the talent that and time and creativity that has gone into this game that some random person on the internet believes that they need to have their ego strokes so that other people can't be inspired to create material and content that will further boost and strengthen the audience of the games for these things. Hmm. So like um it might just be like if you don't if you can't find that kind of like groove with it maybe you just check out the music listen to the to the soundtrack you know see, yeah. look at some of the, look at the art book just read go to youtube and find the lore videos because there's already some amazing stuff out there like people have unpacked the story of some characters and it's like inspired writing and um, mm. and like maybe playing elden ring might not be your thing but perhaps experience elden ring elden ring can still be a thing for you well one thing is for certain you were the perfect guest to have on this week to talk about that game because i'm i'm constantly inspired by hearing you talk about it write about it uh and i i'm so glad you've you've been here um you also Mm -hmm. on top of uh putting countless hours into elden ring you've also been able to have hands on with the very difficult to come by steam deck (laughs) yes what are your opinions of that i am surprised at how much i love the thing like it's so i can't i don't currently have it i've given it to someone else who works at GameSpot, who's doing some uh video stuff with it and every day i don't have it i miss it it's very strange (laughs) i'm like i one is because like it's such a weird little device it's such a little freak of a like a, a portable gaming device um but also it's very very like interesting because i think the most exciting thing about it is like it unlocks a steam library in a very very interesting way it's like every time i've gone onto a steam sale and bought something thinking i'll play this one day and never done it now it's viable like i could like and it's like it's viable because i can download fallout new vegas and replay it on there i can download alpha protocol and play it on there i loaded up sekiro on there and played for a bit while sitting on the toilet it was great (laughs) um i played dark souls 3 in bed which is great and 
it's it's a surprisingly powerful our review it was done by a guy named alessandro barbosa who's um very very tech savvy and he said it's the best like portable pc gaming kind of like solution that he's seen on the market there are a few wow. others that are great the iron neo is is one that gets a lot of attention but like it, it's the steam deck comes at a fraction of the price of most other ones and they also run on older mobile architecture and hardware whereas this is something that's kind of a little more beefy and it can run like i said dark souls three which is a quite a demanding game like it runs cyberpunk it play like we you can play doom eternal on it you can play metal gear solid 5 uh, on there and it's like that's impressive i still like weirdly enough i'm still like i just want to play indie games on this because you play those big games and they will like drink your battery very very quickly um but like you can chuck a good feel like a a few dozens of indie games on there and have it in your in your backpack and just take it with you and have a kind of or indie games or like double a games or older triple a games like having access to those just at a touch of a button is really convenient and like surprisingly it's kind of i don't understand what, how they've done it like valve are very clearly very talented and, and figured out the ergonomics of this thing because it is it looks like game gear and when you put it in your hands, you're like, this is going to be awful. And then you're like, oh, it feels good to hold for the most part. It doesn't like, I don't mm. feel fatigue in my wrists. I don't feel like as long as your elbows are resting on something, like you can hold it for two to three hours at a time very easily. And like, I find at times more com- more comfort holding it than I do the Switch. Really? Because the Switch is just kind of like a, it's like the same way. It's like the same. We take for granted that the switch is what it is, but like if you really think about it, iPads are not comfortable to hold. <laughs> right. like they're very light, but they're just they are a tablet. Like yeah. they, the thing that makes them holdable for long periods of time is they're incredibly light. But like ergonomically speaking, they don't fit in your hand very well. Like right. they're not gripping your hands aren't gripping them. Whereas and the switch is the same. It's just kind of like this tablet that you just kind of make do with holding and like it's kind of awkward. And but with this, they sh- they've shaped it so it does your fingers kind of hug around it and you can get to all the buttons easily and like the curvature of the button looks really weird because like one of the the buttons on the side um i think it's the b button kind of like goes around the corner a bit but it feels good like the d-pad feels really good the um the thumbsticks feel really good and they've made the most of you know the the controller technology with the touchpad that was like nobody used that controller but they still had that tech i hate that touchpad thing man yeah yeah. they, they chucked it on this and it's like it's fine like it works perfectly fine like i could see myself like loading up a rts game and actually playing it like a sieve um and using that and the um the actual thumbsticks have the similar uh, touch um surface on the very top so you can like if you take your thumb off the actual stick and just like kind of gently move your thumb along it you can do like micro adjustments in aim and stuff like that which is interesting um screen is really nice um the speakers are some sort of voodoo like the speakers are pretty (laughs) amazing like i think the speakers are the best feature the only downside is like it's a loud loud thing like it is very (laughs) loud like it sounds like you you turn it on and you can hear the fans are putting in the work Mm. um the kind of like uh the cooling system in there is very good where you won't feel it get hot in your hands at anywhere like you know you get some devices where you're holding it and you're like yeah i can feel it getting hot on my hands yeah even the switch yeah yeah they have the routing is done very very well so you never feel that but the trade-off is is quite loud to the point where it can drown out the speakers on improper intensive games but if you're wearing headphones it's fine 
Like it's not loud to the point where you're like, I'm worried about this machine exploding in my hand. It's just clearly putting in the work to keep everything cool. However, if you've got headphones in and are enjoying it, if there's someone sitting next to you, they will look at you like, what is happening with this device? Like <laughs> it's so loud. Why is that jet engine in your hands? Yeah. yeah. Um, and like the UI is pretty good. I think they, they, they need to spend a little more time getting a broader library of games like ready for deck. The, the great thing is like when you turn it on in the UI, it, it has a category already there and it's like um, great on deck and you just go in there and it'll fit all your library into all these games are optimized and it, they have different control options configurations that you can select from you can be like oh, i want to play this in mouse and keyboard mode and it will try and map it as best as it can or it'll be like mm. oh there's a profile already for controllers so you can just switch to that mm. um and it performs really well there's a, a a load of interesting data you can get into like really nitty gritty stuff like i want to turn off the i want to limit frame rate or i want the kind of like uh sls or dlss or whatever like post-processing this that all this stuff that i was like i don't understand any of this stuff but i'm glad that some nerd's gonna be very excited by this it ain't me though um you can change like resolutions and all that it functions like a pc in a lot of ways but it's just very capable um I don't think it's one of those consoles that you put in your pocket and just like take out. I think it's one of those portable consoles where you're like, I'm going to stay at an Airbnb for a few days. I'll take this with me. Or I'm going to a friend's house. We're going to hang out for the day and play video games and just chat. And at some point I'll be able to pull this out and play a game with them. It's not like I'm at a, I'm on bar or I'm on a bus or I'm on the train. I'm just going to quickly whip this out and get a few games. No, it's a bit more elaborate than mm, that and mm. it will draw attention to it. But I feel like it's a different kind of portable device. And I think that they could, with some improvements to like slight performance of games and some, it's very hard to do some of the things they said, like add Epic Game Store support or other or launcher support. It's doable, but Alessandro, our reviewer, is a programmer by trade and he was messaging me. He was like, this is not something a layman's going to be able to do very easily it's not like an apple like easy plug-in style system hmm. you have to mess with like image files and factory resets and all this kind of stuff but other than that it's like a surprisingly competent like not competent surprisingly good device portable handheld device from valve that is affordable and quite powerful and i think it has a bright future if they stick with it wow uh that's awesome i mean i now that i know that i'm i'm uh going to be flying to atlanta a bunch uh, because i'm working for fan control football i'm really regretting not pre-ordering one because i feel like it's like the perfect airline airplane uh gaming device um but christian you did pre-order one are you excited about your pre-order now i'm q2 i had the the infamous the now infamous at least for me store glitch where it was like we got your order just kidding and no um i'm excited i think the reviews are fascinating i think but uh, like it it doesn't seem like it's for everyone um it it seems kind of like a from software game (laughs) it has like a few grub was saying he loves it too jeff grub was, was telling me he was loving his yeah i i think a lot of people that are reviewing it will genuinely love it because it's such a tech curiosity and it does allow you to tinker in so many ways that handhelds generally don't. Um, And it's such a fascinating piece of tech that works surprisingly well. I think as a lot of people, it's like, you know, to, to think of valve now as a very competent hardware maker is 
something that people don't, I think, associate with Valve. You know, the VR, PlayStation VR 2, those controllers are because of the Index, right? Like the Index didn't have that circle design, but the Index did a lot of things that other VR headsets followed suit with. Um, and the the Steam uh, wireless hub, whatever that was called, this, um so you can play your Steam games on your Yeah, I TV. forgot what it was called. Whatever. Like Steam also, Link, wasn't it? Steam that's Link, the one. yeah. That's the one. Like, really, it worked at a time when a lot of people weren't doing this. And now you have Steam Deck. Um, I think it's fascinating. I'm super excited to get it and tinker with it. But as we talked about, I think, with Arnie, Jeff, like a lot of it will be in bed for me. Like, yeah. it, it just a great machine to be playing, you know, whatever it is and, and be like, yeah, I should go to bed. Yoink, just kidding. I will take this and right. no longer sit at my desk well, and continue to play games. Speaking of one of those games that you're going to probably be playing in bed, I know you've been playing a bunch of Witch Queen. We're already uh, long, but w- give me your give me your quick impressions of uh, Destiny 2's newest expansion. Yeah, I will be talking about it more, and I, I do recognize that we're, we're running long. Uh, the caveat to the Steam Deck is I don't think you can play Witch Queen on it. I think it's one of the games where like the the um, cheat technology won't allow it to work. I could be wrong, but I think it is one of those games. Um, so I will say this. I have not gone back to Horizon Forbidden West since Witch Queen came out. Um, yes. Part of that is also probably Elden Ring then coming out after but I love Destiny. I love Destiny 2. I love these big, meaty, single-player expansions that they've done, um, Forsaken, and now with Witch Queen. Like I don't get into the nitty-gritty and stay playing. The next newsletter I write is going to be about living with live service games and what type of gamer I am and other what other types of other people are in terms of their relationship to live service games. Like I don't think I'll be playing Witch Queen three months from now. But right now, between it and Elden Ring, it is what lives in my head. Like, it's all I'm thinking about and wanting to go sneak some time with again. It's so incredibly well done with how they tell the story in it. And even for someone who only has played the large story beats, the way that they make it meaningful even though I haven't necessarily been following every little single grimoire card uh, along the way and diving deep into the lore, they set you up with what this thing is, um, what's happened, why it's important for you, and then reinforce it along the way in really fun, cool ways of like, Sabathun had been doing this, now it's this. I can't, and like literally your ghost will straight up say, I can't believe this is happening. We use this thing for this. Now we're using this thing for this. I never would have imagined in a million years we've been doing this for that. Obviously more <laughs> eloquently and with more import than what I'm giving it as I'm trying to be vague to avoid spoilers. But really smartly, I think, bringing lapsed players back into the narrative fold. And the level design for these narrative missions, I think, are some of Bungie's best in years. It's not, you know, running a a level you've done before backwards, as they were uh, given a hard time for before. It's not spending the same time on the moon, uh, the same, like, basic desert location running in circles. The way the Witch Queen's fortress evolves and changes as you go through it is really fascinating and really cool. And the way that they've improved upon the idea of in a first person shooter 
you're left triggering, right triggering. It's what you're doing, right? Destiny 1 got a lot of flack for every encounter was the same. You go to a terminal, scan the terminal with your ghost. Your ghost says, I'm on it. Well, this is going to take me a little longer than I thought. Hold off these enemies while I do the thing. And then you sit there and do the thing, and then you clear it, then you go on to the next terminal, rinse, repeat. Essentially, you're still just shooting things, uh, but the creative ways that Bungie has thought to get you into a fight are I think as varied outside of a raid um, that, that you've, that I've seen in destiny two in a very long time with the, the narrative campaign in, in witch queen and about playing it in bed. What I have been doing is playing a lot of it on GeForce now with my backbone on my phone. Whereas like I'm sitting out on my front porch instead of like reading the paper and drinking coffee and saying hi to neighbors I'm killing mobs and mobs and mobs of enemies going on patrols and I'm doing patrols like the headshot challenges. So you're saying instead of being mode. in 1992. Yes. <laughs> reading the I'm, paper. He said, I mean, as an old man. Yeah, that's what you do. You sit on the porch, Norman Rockwell, you read the paper, yeah. you say hi in to the milkman. 1992, you do that. Yes. Yeah. Right, go ahead. Sorry. And now I'm bringing back that tradition, but playing video games and making it as acceptable as reading the paper. Oh, what are you doing? I'm playing Destiny 2. How is it? It's great. And then me and all my dad friends are high-fiving. Um, <laughs> but it's it's an exquisite experience. Like what NVIDIA has done, and again, I'm on the 3080 tier, but playing it on a backbone, on a phone. I remember I talked about Destiny 2 on Stadia back in 1992 also, it feels like. <laughs> Uh, and being very playable, but not the ideal way to play it. I've played through major story campaigns on my phone. I've done patrol missions on my phone. Like I said, headshot challenges on my phone. I want to play PVP that way, um, but it's really nice. It's not the same as sitting at my computer 4K, 120 frames per second, but it's really nice. And that's the other thing I'll say about Witch Queen. Technically, I don't think this is true. Like you get down to the bits and boops for my money right now with these levels, it looks better than halo infinite. Wow. What they do with lighting and changing up the designs. It's, it's phenomenal to me that a game this old looks this good and it runs so silky smooth. Do I wish I had a grapple hook? Probably <laughs> even without it. Like, Bungie still does first-person platforming. No one else really embraces it the way they have. Do, and I'm super excited for the first uh, first raid. I'm trying to get my level there. Do I wish you had given me your extra code so I could want to check it out in Super Ultra Wide? Yes, I do. But. That, that I, I told you that you had to bring I told you this. I bought it myself, the regular edition, and then I got a code for the deluxe edition. And I wasn't going to not get the War Table upgrades in the season passes, Jeff. I'm Same. in. And you would you weren't even home, so you wouldn't have even had a chance to play it. I'll so check don't. it out now. I'm just saying. I'm not going to buy okay. it, but I'll check it out if you give me a code. I will buy it for you. <laughs> okay. And I'm very right. curious to see. How, see, there's the truth. Yeah, he backpedals immediately. <laughs> it's very good. And I plan on talking about Witch Queen a lot more. Yeah. It is, it's, it's, Elden Ring is the game if I know I only have 30 minutes because what's nice about it is that I can farm for a little bit, save and walk away. Destiny 2 is the game that if I know I won't be interrupted for a while that I'm jumping into. It's the Witch Queen expansion is exquisite top to bottom so far, in my opinion. Nice. Very cool. Uh, All right. That is the games that we have been playing. And that is our show. Uh, We do have parting gifts coming up by popular demand. So stick around for those. 
But Tamora Hussein, thank you so much for being here. It has been an absolute delight uh, hearing you talk about these games and uh, just hanging out with you. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It is uh, genuine, like I said, an honor to be here. I love the show. And yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you. Tell folks where they can keep up with you and all of the incredible things that you do online. Yeah, you can find my work at GameSpot.com. I'm the managing editor there, but I do uh, allow myself to write things here and there as well. Um, uh, I'm also on GiantBomb.com. I do a show there called The Very Online Show, which is we describe it as like a manual on how to use the internet. Um, I also do a new show called Jeff Jeff's Bizarre Adventure, which is a watch along for uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, um, <laughs> which is fun. And then you can also find me doing stuff at Kind of Funny. Um, I host uh, Games Daily there. I'm on there in reviews now and then. And yeah, I'm just out and about here and there. And I'm, I stream on Twitch three times a week at twitch.tv forward slash tomorrow H. And I'm on Twitter as tomorrow H. Very, very cool. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Yeah, my hope is to, I don't know if it'll go out this week, but I will be working on that newsletter, which you can find at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. There's archives of not all of the old ones, but most of them that are there as well. But it's where I do long form writing about games. It's um, welcoming. It's casual. It, it, I want it to feel like we're hanging out, chatting video games. And um, I encourage reader replies i get awesome replies i try to get back to everybody it's a real it's a real treat and this one is about living with live service games while i just raved about witch queen the thing i will add you know similar to what tam was saying about uh elden ring it's not for everyone it i I think it does a piss poor job of welcoming an entirely new player um there's stuff that i i put a lot of hours into destiny too i'm not anthony taormina uh but i put a lot of hours into it and it still is like, uh, do I need any of these exotics? What am I <laughs> What am I doing? <laughs> I have all this stuff. Does any of this matter anymore? You unlock this, that. Go talk to this person. Why? Um, so I'm going to be writing about that. How, do, how were we expected to live with live service games and how I do it? And I'm curious how other folks do. So that's at tinyletter.com slash Christian Spicer. And then Twitter's the best way, at Spicer, S-P-I-C-E-R, on Twitter to see the other things. And I'm at Jeff Kanata on Twitter as well. That's with two N's and one T. Uh, I have uh, several other shows, including the Film Cast, which is my movie and TV show review program. Yeah, I was on that. Highly, what's that? I was on that. Christian was on that, talking the <laughs> Uncharted movie. Uh, so you got to listen. It's a crazy synergy of of the various projects I do overlapping and much. It was our best banter ever. I think people, the audience had said our banter was top. <laughs> Good banter. Good banter. So check that out. Uh, also the, uh, the, we have concerns is a comedy science show that I do with Anthony Carboni. Tons of fun. You can learn something and laugh along the way. We have concerns.com. Also, I talked about the dungeon run earlier on the show. Uh, check that out. You can find that on YouTube or as a podcast or at twitch.tv slash the dungeon run and fan controlled football. Whose uh, second season is ramping up uh, on, uh, on March. No, April. Anyway, very soon <laughs> the, the, uh, the training camp starts in March and the show starts, uh, I think April 9th, I want to say anyway, very, very soon. And I'm going to be uh, in the booth calling games. I think I can announce that officially. If not, I just did. Uh, I'm going to be say you did, so calling games for the for <laughs> FCF. It's going to be like a dream come true. It's going to be crazy. So check that out, twitch.tv slash FCF or FCF.io. Uh, all right, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, 
Tam, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, I'd love to recommend a manga called Berserk, which is uh, in the ilk of uh, Souls from software. Miyazaki, Hidetaka Miyazaki, is a huge fan of the series Berserk to the point where there's imagery and themes that are um, present in his games that are very much inspired by um, uh, Berserk. Uh, The author of Berserk, uh, Kentaro Mura, recently... Uh, sadly passed away so we'll never see the end of berserk Mm. but it's a dark fantasy series that follows a lone swordsman as he tries to figure himself out and it is um it's kind of not for everyone much like dark souls or the souls games and the steam deck and destiny to witch queen apparently (laughs) um yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. it's it's like it can get very graphic it can get very dark really really dark it can get very gross at times and there's some stuff in there that is like quite hard to read on page but ultimately it's about the story of a man trying to find his way in life struggling and having his world turned upside down and just being twisted and turned by the world a cruel world around him um it is it's legendary it's like beloved in japan it's um, eminently un, unadaptable in many, many ways. There was an anime that was like uh, half decent in the 90s and everything since then has been hot, steaming trash. Um, but like, it's it's a fascinating world to fall into. Um, I've been rereading it recently and it's it's spectacular. Wow, that's berserk. Um, where, is there an easy way to find it? It's on Comixology. Oh, great. Uh, if you don't want to support Comixology because they are an Amazon company and they recently did some wild stuff with their uh, app update that is quite crazy to me, but uh, you can buy the physical versions of it at a local manga store, bookshop, um, or, or online in various places. Yeah. Cool. Berserk. Uh, Christian, you and I will be talking about our parting gifts uh, on the paid DLC show, but you want to give uh, folks a sneak peek? There's a new Dashboard Confessional album that just came out, uh, All the Truth That I Can Tell. Um, I'm very excited to talk to you about that, Jeff. I am yeah. very excited. Yeah, and I uh, I had family in town this week, and we did some uh, actual uh, trips, including to a thing called Meow Wolf, which uh, I'm going to need a, a big chunk of that show to describe because it's something That's else. That's a Pokemon. That's a Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it sounds like it. Uh, we did get a listener-suggested parting gift, which you can – Submit to us at dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This comes from Andrew. Andrew said, I wanted to provide a listener parting gift for the show Severance on Apple TV+. Plus. I can't say anything really about the show for fear. I'll spoil the premise, but it's basically control the show. And I loved it after one episode, and I think you will too, especially you, Christian. The show is also just beautiful to look at, exquisitely shot. Be well, stay safe, Andrew. I don't know if you've watched this yet, Christian, but I love this show so much. And yes, please don't spoil the premise for folks that might not know it because I didn't know it going in and discovering halfway through the first episode what the show was really about was mind blowing. Severance on Apple TV+. I know it it only because I added it to my queue on Apple TV Plus and it says it 
And I'm like, oh, what is yeah. this? I like this actor. And then it's like, here's the thing. And I was like, I think I'm still going to love this, but I haven't, I haven't gotten to yeah, it. Yeah, the, the guys on the film cast made fun of me for not knowing the premise, uh, going in and trying to protect people from knowing the premise. But I loved the fact that I, I, it was revealed because it's revealed in a really cool way, I think. Anyway, if you don't know it, just watch the show. It's cool. Sci-fi, interesting, cool premise. Severance. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Tamora Hussein, Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo-choo. Uh, yeah, actually, you know what? Let's just do it. Patreon! Patreon! Seamless. Seamless. We don't need we don't need a new version of that. We could just uh, do that every week. Uh, these are our hype train <laughs> patrons. And uh, we want to thank each and every one of you. So let's do it. First up, Jason Novak. Clifton Satterfield. Octavian. <laughs> Rat to you. Rat to you. We'll get better at this. We're, yes. we're, we're, but thank you. to. Every, I mean, this is a. Uh, seriously my favorite part of the episode uh i'm so excited to be doing this taylor wigert christian bravery psv jad josh peak peter olberg nick strausskline slag strausskline 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 Strauss i had it i was so confident Jeff, I, know. I was so confident we're <laughs> gonna this is gonna be we're gonna get better at this i have to Sleg, the Watashima Penny, Michael Stedler, Michael Buck, Jackson, Mike Lombardo, Travis. Ah, uh, who did it? Uh, someone who simply wants to be referred to as the Spice Man Silencer. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I guess so. Soren Silk, whose name will not be read in the Spice Man voice. <laughs> <laughs> Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show podcast. Yick. Jonathan Spice Man Forever. Schlepfer. Hickory White, baby! <laughs> Stu Goss. Nate. Kevin Brazzle. Jenny. Ben. Scott Hughes. Lloyd Nance. Neil Saw. Dan Palmino. The Switch Bit. Malcolm King. Awesome U.S. Movies. Mark Gowland. Jimmy Radcliffe. Jonathan Putney. And if you did not hear your name and you are a uh, hype train level patron. That means you did not respond to my email sent to you on Patreon asking how to pronounce your name, even though we didn't pronounce all the names correctly. <laughs> we we still yearn to cr uh, pr correctly pronounce your name and know exactly the name you would like us to say. So we're not going to say names unless you tell us what name to say and how to pronounce it. So please respond to those emails. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all the hype train patrons that make yes. this show possible. And we're going to have some fun with it. We're already talking some fun ideas of fun things to do. And like I said, I look for, I was looking at this list and it's like, oh, okay, this is going to be fun. And it's going to become more fun as we go on. And don't worry, I will not spice man your name if you don't want me to. But if you want me to, 
That's my baby. <laughs> but thank you, each and every one of you, for downloading the show. If you haven't checked out the Patreon at Patreon.com/slash DLC Pod, give it a give it a give it a perusal. See if there's uh, something that might tickle your fancy, or just support the show. Uh, it's the only reason that we're continuing to do it at this point. The only way it's possible. Patreon.com slash DLC pod. All right. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. <laughs>